1: It is indeed, and hour number two is underway. Nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday, the 11th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Thanks to uh, Jim Jordan. Good stuff from him. We're going to talk to uh, Jim Renacci, former Congressman Jim Renacci, who's got his eye on the Ohio governor's uh, race uh, coming up at 1035. But now we want to welcome back to our program Dr. Everett Piper. After a week's absence, he is back in his normal visitation slot. Dr. Piper is a past university president. He is a best-selling author with a sequel to his best-selling book coming out next month. He is also a radio host, and he is a weekly columnist for The Washington Times, and he joins us now. Dr. Piper, good morning. How are you?
2: I'm doing great, Bob. It's great to be back.
1: So good to have you, especially with the list of topics that we're going to discuss today, because um, uh, I'm so excited about tomorrow and uh, Saturday. I will actually be emceeing the annual Cleveland Right to Life, uh, Bringing America Back to Life conference. It's a two day affair. It's kind of like a mini CPAC, Dr. Piper, and uh, its general focus is on the right to life, of course. Um, But it's just a whole host of conservatives getting together and supporting life in all of its forms, and especially for the the, uh, the preborn. And that's where I want to start. I want to talk to you first about um, evangelicals, of which you are one. Pro life evangelical group that backed Joe Biden has suddenly been shocked. To find out that he has used and betrayed them, that he is a pro abortion president. What I would like to know, Dr. Piper, is what were these people watching and to whom were they listening during the entirety of Joe Biden's basement campaign? How can pro life evangelicals even possibly have thought that they were electing a pro life president? Well,
2: first of all, a pro life Biden. Evangelical is an oxymoron if I've ever heard one. (laughs) And Richard Mao, who's the president emeritus of Fuller Theological Seminary, one of the prominent evangelical higher institutions of higher education in the nation, Richard Mao and Ron Sider, who is an evangelical who has been a leader of social justice causes for decades. These guys should be ashamed. They're the two that co-authored the letter supporting Joe Biden during the primate, excuse me, during the general election season season, arguing that pro life evangelicals could support a man who is unapologetically and unabashedly pro abortion up until the point of birth. Joe Biden is pro abortion up till five seconds before birth. Moving hands, moving arms, working lungs, beating heart, sucking its thumb, and Joe Biden thinks it's okay to terminate, this human being because someone finds it inconvenient. And Kamala Harris believes it's okay to let it die after birth because she voted against the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. So your question is, what were they thinking? Well, they weren't. Or they're disingenuous and dishonest. And I frankly think it's the second. Yes, I they were too. thinking. They're not being honest. They're telling people that they are pro-life. But they're not, because you can't, you can't champion... You can't champion a man who's pro-abortion in the manner that I just described and claim to be pro-life. That is a lie. That's disingenuous, and that's deceptive. And that's what these pro-life evangelicals, and I say that in quotation marks for Biden, have actually proven themselves to be. Very dishonest and very disingenuous people.
1: And it took the passage of the COVID-19 quote-unquote relief package for them to step up and act here. Their letter, the one from Dr. Mao and Ronald Sider that you, you cited, uh, starts, We are very disappointed about the COVID-19 relief package's exclusion of the Hyde Amendment, a long-standing bipartisan policy that prevents taxpayer funding for abortion. We're even more upset that the Biden administration is supporting this bill. As pro-life leaders in the evangelical community, we publicly supported President Biden's candidacy with the understanding there would be engagement on the issue of abortion. However, he has refused, essentially, to talk to us now. So, I mean, you know, you're right. I, I agree. There's no way they can claim, uh, you know, ignorance of the situation. They can't just say, oh, my goodness, we're, we're stunned and we're shocked of this. I think it's wholly dishonest and it's wholly, um, um, you know, well, I guess I'll stick with dishonest. I can't think of a synonym right now. But it really is, uh, you know, they're being disingenuous. I think you threw that one in there. Well, if they're trying to tell us that they thought they could really make some progress with this avowed abortionist and his his vice president, who is even further uh, to the left on the issue than he is.
2: Yeah, and, and, you know, this is the nature of the progressive left, especially within the evangelical community, and probably within the Catholic community and other uh, Christian um, subcategories, if you will. Um, They claim that they want to have a conversation about these things, that they expected to have engagement. Well, what are you engaging about? I don't see anything in the Bible that tells us to have a conversation about murder. I don't see that in the Bible. We're supposed to condemn it. We're supposed to judge it. We're supposed to stop it. We're not supposed to sit around and talk about it. So when they say that they expected to have a conversation, to have some engagement with the Biden administration about abortion, well, what? Okay, you want to sit around and talk about murdering young children? Why do you want to do that? Why don't you sit down and say, stop it? Here we stand. We can do no other. We will not tolerate in any shape or form, the execution of the youngest and most innocent among them. That's what they should be saying, not that we expected to have, quote-unquote, engagement. That's a very sad statement on their part.
1: It's almost, um, well, it's not almost, it is evil. Um, Let's do this part. Many of us would describe the butchering of a baby right before it's about to be born, or even several weeks before it's to be born, Uh, certainly after 20 weeks, uh, you know, at the point in which, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of states have cut off the abortion, uh, option. But, but I think a lot of us would call that, and certainly what Kamala Harris advocates for, as you said, you know, not even, not even supporting the Born Alive Act, um, that it's satanic, that it's evil and it's satanic. And we use those words kind of like just maybe for shock value, but we really believe it is kind of satanic. And Dr. Piper, as you wrote about in the Washington Times, it's not just for shock value it's literal down in the state of texas the satanic temple of texas has filed a lawsuit to defend its religious right to murder babies in these in such manners as i tell us that story
2: yeah the satanic temple in the uh, dallas fort worth in houston area has filed a lawsuit against the state of texas because texas requires that, uh, well, Texas allows abortion. So Texas isn't, you know, squeaky clean on this. Right. Uh, after after 20 weeks, um, excuse me, prior to 20 weeks, you can get an abortion. But after 20 weeks, you have to undergo a sonogram and you have to receive material telling you the risks and whatnot that the abortion um, will entail. So they have some firewalls. They have some checks and balances against this. They're requiring women to actually look at a sonogram and say, oh, that is a human being. He's actually moving. He's actually functioning. Well, the Texas uh, Satanic Temple filed lawsuits, and they actually said in their lawsuit that it is a religious ritual for them to have an abortion, and that they are filing the lawsuit because of the violation of their First Amendment rights, the violation of their religious freedom. So they've admitted it. This is child sacrifice. They've admitted it. This is a religious ritual of taking another human being, taking its blood, and celebrating it as part of your religion. Sounds an awful lot like the Democrat Party platform, doesn't it? That's really where we are. They're actually admitting what many other people that celebrate abortion actually think. And this is something to be embraced almost as a religion within the Democrat Party and within the satanic temple. They're actually saying so. Cruz it. said at one time... Ted Cruz said at one time that when you find yourself litigating against a bunch of nuns, you might be doing something wrong, and he was was referring to the Little Sisters of the Poor lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And I would paraphrase Ted Cruz and say this, when you find yourself standing with the satanic temple, you might be doing something wrong, too. Maybe Democrats should take note of that.
1: (laughs) It is, um, it is really stunning. Like I said, you know, we'll say something is evil or it's satanic or whatever. And, and literally now the satanic temple are arguing for the right to butcher babies in the same way that Democrats argue for the right to butcher babies all the way up to and after birth. And we don't have to go back very far to remember, uh, the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, uh, arguing in a public forum for the right to allow babies who are, who survive abortions, not even the right, uh, but I believe the, the language was, uh, if the 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 baby survives abortion, the mother gets to counsel with the doctor for a little while while they decide whether or not the thing over there on the table that they just pulled out of her alive should be given medical treatment. It is satanic, Dr. Piper, and the only question now is, is it truly religious? For if we say that we believe in God and we believe in Satan, uh, and it's a part of our religion, is it okay for a satanic group to say we believe in Satan and your God, and we worship the opposite side, we have the same rights that you do?
2: And one of the mantras that the satanic temple chants during this ritual, this religious ritual of abortion, is this. By my body, by my blood, it is done. They actually chant that mantra. By my body, by my blood, it is done. And by my will.
1: Just looking at your column real quick, it's by my body, by my will it is done so in other words this is my will and if i want to kill this baby that's inside of me and i want to spill its blood in the name of satan then that's what i get to do and because of religion and and this is one of those i don't know is this even a test case for the first amendment i I don't know what the what the law says about you know a satanic temple claiming religious uh, liberty here
2: well thomas jefferson when he was speaking on the issue of religious liberty famously said something very close to this. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't break my leg or pick my pocket, what do I care? In other words, religious liberty, yes, but if it caused physical harm or if it steals someone's property, then no, there are limits. And clearly this is causing physical harm. You're killing another human being. This is child sacrifice. So again, Thomas Jefferson, if it doesn't break my leg or pick my pocket, then what do I care? Practice your religion. But this is a violation of both. It steals the property of a human being. It steals his life. It clearly breaks his leg, literally, because it severs his leg from his body, and Planned Parenthood then goes and sells those body parts for profit.
1: Yeah, just to to reiterate at the end of your column, infanticide as merely another religious viewpoint. All of these positions, as well as the third and fifth tenets of the Satanic Temple, Sounds stunningly similar to the Democrat Party platform. And yes, Dr. Piper, you are right, it does. We'll take our time out here. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about evangelicals and where they stand right now with issues of pro-life and more under the Biden presidency and the Biden guidance of this country. That's coming up on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, ten twenty-five. Now I continue with Doctor Everett Piper and Doctor Piper. I want to talk more about this this intersection of faith and politics now, and the impact that it's having on the evangelical community. Uh, we just talked uh, in the last segment about um, uh, you know the, this these pro pro-life evangelicals for Biden, and somehow they're confused about why uh, why their hero Joe Biden isn't giving them the support for their pro-life causes that they thought. Let's steer this into the Southern Baptist now. I don't know a ton about this, and you can explain the difference between Southern Baptists and and traditional or regular Baptists, Baptist, whatever the case might be. But Beth Moore is a well-known and for perhaps the best-known Southern Baptist, and she has left the Southern Baptist Convention, apparently. Um, and here's just a quick clip to explain this, and I'll get your reaction to this, Dr. Pike.
3: Southern Baptist leaders leaving the denomination over how concerned do we need to be about this
2: well i think southern baptist leaders should be very concerned i think when you see consistent and prominent african-american leaders departing the denomination saying that their concerns aren't being heard saying that they're not feeling welcomed and now you have the most prominent woman leader in the denomination leaving i think it's a cause for concern and needs to be some self-reflection how did southern Baptists get here and why are so many people leaving the Southern Baptist Convention right now?
1: That was Dr. Ed Stetzer at uh, from a Wheaton College, um, uh, professor and dean at Wheaton College. In fact, um, uh, Dr. Piper, what is your reaction to what you just heard?
2: Well, Ed Stetzer is not somebody I respect on this issue because Ed Stetzer was very, very political during the campaign season and prior to no, the November election, um, and he so was Beth Moore, responsible right? Pardon me.
1: So was Beth Moore, right? She was very, very yes. critical of Donald Trump.
2: Absolutely, both of them take great uh, take a great deal of uh, blame for where we are right now. So, at Stetzer, or whatever, um, Beth Moore. Beth Moore has been off the rails for some time now. Beth Moore actually went back to some of her previous books, where she had a biblical view on homosexuality and she edited those pages out of her books in reprint. Wow. So that tells you where Beth Moore has been going for the last several months. Anybody who's going to do that is somebody who is now not trusted in terms of a biblical worldview. So, And, and Ed Stetzer's view that somehow the Southern Baptist Convention is in trouble because Beth Moore has left, Beth Moore left the Southern Baptist Convention in teaching and in practice and in ideology and theology months ago, if not years ago. This is nothing new. And Ed Stetzer's commentary is very self-serving. And the prominent black leaders he's referring to Mm -hmm. are black leaders who shouldn't have been part of the Southern Baptist Convention anyway because they weren't embracing many of the tenets and many of the platforms of the Southern Baptist Convention as an organization theologically, politically, and socially. So this is not a crisis for the Southern Baptist Convention. And in fact, it's good that there's a culling of the biblical from the unbiblical from the convention itself.
1: For the uninitiated, like me, when it comes to understanding the Southern Baptist denomination versus just Baptist denomination or what have you, what, what do the Southern Baptists stand for that is different? You mentioned their tenets that is different from, uh, I don't know what they would become otherwise.
2: Well, it's interesting. Baptists can be all over the map on some things. But the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest um, evangelical denomination in the nation. And generally speaking, they're people that hold to a biblical ethic, a biblical worldview, the Bible as the inerrant word of God, and their soteriology, in other words, their view of salvation, is by grace alone, faith alone, through Christ alone. So this is the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, you might have a lot of Calvinists within the Southern Baptist Convention, meaning that they believe in predestination and eternal security— But you also have a smattering of Arminians within the Southern Baptist Convention, which would be those that believe in free will and um, basically put the emphasis on man's decision to follow God rather than God's selection of man. Does that make
1: sense? Well, it does, and, and you're very good at uh, talk, you know, bringing this down to a level most of us who are not, uh, like I said, initiated in this can really understand. The last thing, then, is, is I would ask this. What is Beth Moore saying by leaving the Southern Baptist Convention, and as you say, leaving it in practice and in teaching anyway a long time ago? Is she saying that she would actually rather support uh, you know, the, the, the Joe Biden version of pro-life that we just talked about with the uh, Bi- the pro-life Biden movement?
2: I believe she is. Basically what she's doing, she's saying because of critical race theory and the Southern Baptist Convention is having a debate over it, a critical debate of critical race theory. In other words, there are a lot of conservatives that are rising up and saying, no, we don't want this as part of our church. She disagrees with that, and she also disagrees with the political leanings that are conservative within the convention itself.
1: Does this uh, extend to, because you said she edited and re-release her books uh, as far as biblical definition of marriage and so forth, is she all caught up in the trans movement as well? Is that part of the, the, the issue? Well,
2: if I started editing those pages out of my books, wouldn't you be right in wondering why? Yeah. I mean, come on. There you Absolutely.
1: go. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Dr. Everett Piper, great stuff, and I look forward to learning a lot more about this uh, the next time we talk. We appreciate it, sir. Blessing. All right, that's Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, we're going to go from the faithful to the business side. We're going to get into hardcore numbers, jobs, wages, uh, business, the economy in the state of Ohio. We continue to struggle in this state, perhaps more than most other states. And uh, according to Jim Nacy, almost all of that is Mike DeWine's fault. Everybody knows Jim Renacci's got his eye on the governor's office, potentially. He still, still is not officially declared. But he's going to join us next to talk more about it on AM 1420.
2: Question for Bob? A comment? A complaint? Hit up the authority message line. Call 216-525-1806 and make your voice heard. That's 216-525-1806. Call the authority message line. All right, 1036.
1: Hey, just to uh, follow up on <laughs> Ohio Stands Up, uh, I'm looking at the uh, donation page right now. Go to Ohio stands up. org. click that red button for Donate. And uh, it looks like they don't have the recurring donation set up yet to do like i said five or ten dollars from each paycheck um which would be the best way to help but you can still donate and it looks like they just give you options donating five ten twenty five fifty seventy five one hundred one fifty two fifty and five hundred uh whatever you can do will be helpful we need to fund this movement because they are going to secure our liberty that has been taken from us by uh ridiculously arcane um uh, laws that give the ohio department of health or the uh, health director rather far 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 too much power in the event of a pandemic or other health emergency. We've got to reclaim our liberty. So please join Ohio Stands Up. They're working very hard on that front. Alright, um, speaking of Ohio, as I noted in the uh, before the news break there, everybody knows that former Ohio Congressman uh, Jim Renacey Uh, has had his eye on the governor's race. He was already in the governor's race last time around when he was drafted by the White House to run for Senate instead. Well, now he is back for another run at Mike DeWine, even though he hasn't quite declared yet. He is putting in yeoman's work, really, here uh, around the clock, studying all of the issues that face Ohioans to kind of call attention to this. And he joins us now with uh, more on that effort. Congressman Renese, good to have you back. How are you, sir?
3: Good, Bob. How are you today?
1: I'm good. You you really have been putting in the hours on this thing, haven't you?
3: Well, look, I'm trying to educate people. The the problem is too many people forget what it's what is what is happening here. Too many people don't understand in many cases what the, the uh, effect of close downs, shutdowns, curfews are. And my biggest fear is, as time goes on, especially in politics, Bob, people forget. Mm-hmm. I always say politics is a 30-day window and too often, many that aren't paying attention, I mean, there's many of us like yourself, myself, and many who are watching this stuff every day. But the real problem in Ohio is 56% of Ohioans are independents, and they don't pay attention. And they just walk into a voting booth and say, well, um, you know, it seems like we're doing okay. They don't have the uh, all the details, and, and Jim Renese is going to continue to put these details out there, make sure people are aware you know, we've had a number of town halls about we're spending too much compared to other states, twice as much as other states of similar sizes. Um, but the lockdowns and shutdowns are issue for tonight. Uh, we have Jack Windsor uh, as part of our podcast, and, and uh, we're going to talk about some of the effects of the lockdowns and the shutdowns and what it does and has done to Ohio
1: yeah uh, you know i'm looking at that too and i wanted to make sure everybody knew about that 7 p.m tonight the fifth renacy virtual town hall with jack windsor uh discussing all of the issues facing ohio's economy and uh and as well as our liberty as i pointed out uh what what, what page can people go to to register for that
3: uh jimrenacy.com j-i-m-r-e-n-a-c-c-i.com they can register for tonight and look we've had anywhere from 550 to over 1,000 people on these uh, town halls. And what I try and do, Bob, is uh, talk about some of the issues and then open up for questions. I want to hear what people have to say. Uh, of course, there are always some of the DeWine, uh, what I call the, 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 the trolls that come on and, and ask questions that are unrelated to any of this stuff. But mm-hmm. and for the majority, 90 to 95% of the questions are really good questions and comments uh, and uh, are, are really about their concerns of many of these issues.
1: It looks like if you're a Facebook user, too, you can go to the Ohio's Future Foundation page and find that link there as well to be a part of this uh, Zoom town hall with uh, Jack Windsor and Jim Rennacy tonight. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about the, the – before we get into the economic uh, and job issue here, I just want to talk about the – Lifting of restrictions. Um, this has been one of the biggest problems, so many, and they, of course, are intertwined because when he did put the clamps down on the state of Ohio about one year ago, I believe it was on March 15th, uh, when he said it was going to be just two weeks to flatten the curve, um, it crushed businesses. And for the last year or so, it has put people out of work perma- or excuse me, businesses, uh, they're going to be closed permanently, people out of work for an indefinite period of time. So it is all related. What is your um, opinion of his announcement last week that when we get to 50 cases per 100,000 people in Ohio or less, he will lift all restrictions and allow full capacity and allow Ohioans to go back to work?
3: Uh, Look, uh, Bob, I think it's ridiculous. I think uh, the American people, the American business owner, they have figured this out. I love uh, what Governor DeSantis said in Florida. He said, look, after a year, if people don't, haven't figured this out uh, by now. Shame on them. The government shouldn't be involved. There are people who still are concerned about COVID. God bless them. They can stay in their houses. They can stay away from restaurants. They can stay away from uh, people. They can wear their masks. They can social distance. That's their right. But there are others who want to get back out. There are others that are losing their house, losing their car, losing their freedoms, and want to get back to work. And there are businesses that really want those people back to work. I mean, I sit on a board where we had 600 employees, and we're down to 400 now because people would rather stay home because of the unemployment. I love what Governor Christy Nome did. She did not take the extra money from the federal government. She said it will cause uh, people to not want to go to work, and she has a much closer to full employment than uh, Ohio, where they've taken that extra money. And the governor in Ohio, let's face it, he has taken everything he can from the federal government. He probably loves Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion package because without the money coming from the federal government, the state of Ohio would be uh, definitely be in a deficit situation right now. They are shoring up their budget by using COVID relief dollars, and I'm sure they're begging for more and more because these shutdowns have caused just a drastic uh, problem for income tax. By the way, for your listeners you'll hear the politicians say revenues are up. Sales tax are up. But by the way, the reason sales tax are up is because people are taking their COVID relief money, their unemployment money, Mm -hmm. all those things, and they're spending it. But if you really look at what's going on in Ohio, income taxes are down. Income taxes are the driver of keeping an economy um, moving forward. And when income taxes are down, that's a sign that we have some serious issues.
1: Well, you know the the thing that frustrates me as I look at all of this, uh, Congressman, and we're talking to Jim Renacy <clears throat> about the state of Ohio's economy and how we bounce back, when we bounce back, and and what uh, what is keeping us from doing that now is that. Mike DeWine can't use COVID as, uh, you know, as an excuse here. We've talked about this. You have talked about this before. Before COVID ever hit at the beginning of the year 2020, um, Ohio was struggling and lagging behind the rest of the nation in job growth. We had massive job growth nationally under President Trump's policies and states that followed those policies and implemented their own state policies that mirrored those of the federal government, um, thrived and Ohio continued to struggle and I, don't have it in front of me, but I want to say we were somewhere in the neighborhood of 37th out of 50 states in job growth before the COVID pandemic hit. So, you know, Mike DeWine and his predecessor, John Kasich, two Republicans. And I know you don't want to commit Republican on Republican violence here, as uh, as Ronald Reagan once said. But, you know, DeWine and Kasich didn't do a whole hell of a lot for, this, uh, for the, the job growth in this state in the first place.
3: Well, Bobby hit the nail on the head. In, in 2019, Ohio actually lost 6,200 jobs in to- total compared to other states that were growing and booming. I just saw the governor of West Virginia yesterday came out and said, we're going to cut our income tax. He realizes that you have to change. The states that are doing well are Tennessee, Florida, you know, Texas. They don't have an income tax. So what, what happens is Ohio is a, a maintenance state. I mean, somebody call, told me the other day uh, that, you know, Governor DeWine is a maintenance governor. He just wants to maintain the status quo. Well, you know as well as I do, is if you maintain the status quo, you lose. And the state of Ohio will continue to lose unless it starts looking at policies that can bring business here, that can bring people here. University of Akron and Ball State uh, came out in November and said the exact same thing. We are losing ground to other states, and it's because of our antiquated policies that we continue to use, continue to push, instead of new policies that are, that are growing and prospering in other states. And uh, look, the shutdown, Bob, here's what's interesting. People call me and they'll say, you know, um, uh, what would what happen if we didn't do these shutdowns? Remember, um, Governor DeWine was one of the most aggressive on shutdowns. And some of the other states were not, not only one of the most some... aggressive,
1: not only one of the most aggressive. I apologize for the interruption, but I believe he was among the first, if not the very first, um, because there were there were headlines in the Washington Post in early or actually late March last year that called Mike DeWine America's governor because he was setting the pace that others were following uh, as far as shutting down uh, their businesses.
3: Well, and remember, he also hired a Democrat, Amy Acton, to help <laughs> him set these policies, which a lot of people have to remember. This is a problem. People will forget that. But long story short, look at where some of the states are today that did not shut down, and look at where Ohio is that was aggressively shutting down. We are no better off in many cases because somebody will say, well, look at this state. Look at it. Well, look, even if you pick a state that's the same as Ohio, if they didn't shut down, look at their economies. Look at how they're growing. Ohio – really fits into the blue states. Ohio became one of those red states that was a blue state, shut down, um, set curfews, all of these things, which takes away our freedoms and our liberties. And quite frankly, I love what Christy Nome also said at one point in time. She talked to the health department. She talked to the health system. They all said, we got to do this, we got to do that. Then she talked to her attorneys who said, we have no constitutional right to do what some of these other states are doing. I guarantee you, Governor Dwine did no talking to his legal... And by the way, he's an attorney. He knows what the uh, the Constitution says, but he talked to no one. Um, or if he did, and they advised him that it was unconstitutional, he didn't care. He actually bypassed everything and used Amy Acton as his front person to say we're shutting things down, including an election. Let's not forget, this governor stopped an election which was a violation of constitution as well
1: that's a great point as well and that is something that i know a lot of conservatives have continued to just be furious with him over and should be for crying out loud it's unconstitutional and in fact the judge in the court decided that it was unconstitutional to do it And he said too bad i'm doing it anyway he substituted his judgment for the and that's the thing and, and i don't want to sit here and just do a anti-Dewine campaign commercial for you or for anybody else who may run for governor, but I'm gonna, because this guy literally elevated himself above the other two equal branches of government. He, t- he told the, the, the uh, legislature, the Ohio General Assembly, what you want to do does not matter. You will not be usurping any of my or my health director's authority. He vetoed their bills just to give them a say in the discussion when uh, making such massive decisions that affect all of Ohio uh, businesses and the Ohio economy and workers. And then, of course, as I said, he completely ignored the judge uh, who said that you cannot postpone or, or uh, um Cancel the election in the primaries he did all of those things he said judicial branch and the hell with you legislature ah not only you don't need you i've got it it's it's almost like biden with a scepter
3: well absolutely bob and 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 by the way there are so many things that people just don't realize it's one of the reasons why our town halls are so important i'm just going to give you some highlights of some of the things we'll be talking about tonight the unemployment system in 2019, the governor and lieutenant governor were told our unemployment system was going to collapse by the federal government in February, by the Legislative Service Committee in September. They did nothing. They, they, guess what? It did collapse. We have 668 unemployment claims, 74,000 fraudulent claims, 330 million in fraudulent claims, 7 million a day now to cover the cost of this disaster and 300 million in interest due to an underfunded system. We have to borrow from the state that's $600 million that people need to know could have been used to shore up businesses that could, could to, to help people that um, need help. And, And this was his fault. But look at mental health. It's another issue. And this is in shutting down the schools. 24% increase in mental health among children ages 5 to 11 and a 31% increase in in children, young adults age 12 to 17 because of the school being shut down and them not having that social and mental activity that they need by going to school. These are some of the byproducts of what this governor has done and has caused our state and they will be long lasting long after he's gone somebody's going to have to clean up this mess
1: well i've got one more question for you because you have jack windsor with you tonight for this virtual town hall um jack windsor was on with me last week reporting that warren davidson uh may be interested in running for governor um, and I thought, wow, that'll be an interesting challenge uh, if Jim Renacci is in and somebody like Warren Davidson is in. Mike DeWine running for re-election. Any thoughts on the other uh, potential competitors out there?
3: Well, look, I, I know I've talked to Warren. He's a friend of mine. Um, Warren does not have the name ID necessary to run. And, and I might have said this onto your show. The goal has to be to remove Governor DeWine at some point in time because he's taken our state in the wrong direction and and in my conversations with Warren he says he's flattered that people are asking him he has not really you know done anything uh he doesn't have a plan so i'm just going to keep doing what i'm doing i'm going to keep talking about the issues i'm going to keep ta- i'm going to keep reminding people of what this governor has done and in the end my decision will be in the best interest of the state of ohio not in the best interest of jim rnaesi and i think if if more people did that Um, You know, Warren Davidson told me he really wants to run for Senate at some point in time. Well, that tells you what his his eye is on um, much more than I want to fix the problems. And like I said, Warren's a good man, good person. Um, I'm not too sure he's 100% even in this race. In fact, I'm not sure he's even doing anything today um, that would put him in this race. I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing. And hopefully in the end, we can come up with a person who can remove this governor and really move our state forward, which is the key. That's this exactly isn't about right. any person. This is about policies and procedures.
1: No doubt about it. So tonight, uh, if you are interested in learning more about what Jim Renese has to say, and more importantly to ask him questions you'd like him to answer, there is a virtual town hall. Our friend Jack Windsor is going to be working this with uh, Congressman Renese. If you would like to register to be a part of that Zoom town hall, you can do so at jimrenese.com, and also, as I mentioned, the Ohio Futures, Ohio's Future Foundation Facebook page has a link there as well. Congressman, thanks so much for the time. Thank you, Bob. You have All a great day. Right. You do the same. Ten fifty three. final segment coming up, AM 1420, The Answer. Well, 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 uh, I told you we were loaded for bear on this Thursday edition, and we were. Um, great stuff from Jim Jordan in the first half hour of the program. Dr. Everett Piper had us uh, earlier this hour, then uh, Jim Renacci, and uh, yeah. Tomorrow, you're going to be treated to the wisdom of my friend Rob Walgate. Rob Walgate is going to be sitting in for me as I uh, will be busy at the Cleveland Right to Life uh, Bringing America Back to Life event. It's a two-day event, Friday tickets yet for any of the events that are going on in these two days please go to the website and get them now i would love to see you there make sure you stop by and introduce yourself to me uh, like i said i'll be there literally uh both days pretty much from sun up to sundown as the MC of the event charlie kirk will be the keynote speaker tomorrow night at the big dinner there and uh, i'm just very excited to, to be a part of this thank you to molly smith for asking me but rob wallgate will be in for me live tomorrow while we uh are committed tomorrow to um preserving and protecting life in uh, uh, in independence. Bruce in Lakewood wants to get in before we're done, and I'm happy to do it. Hey, Bruce, you're on the air. Go ahead.
2: Hey, um, I got this kind of idea from Dr. Gorka's show, sort of, but what okay. if between now and Easter, every one of us, Dr. Pipers, conservatives, uh, on all sides, mm-hmm. got together, bought an Easter lily, And we delivered it to either our local government, our mayor's office on the steps. If you can't go far, don't go far. But if you could get to the state capitol, that would show our numbers like you wouldn't believe. And what would they do? Stand there and throw them all out everywhere? (laughs) I mean, the point is is to show our numbers peacefully. Don't stand around. Just drive up, drop off the Easter lily and leave. It was just an idea.
1: I always like out-of-the-box thinking, and that really is. It's not threatening. It's not, uh, uh, It's not. you know, I guess somebody would have to deliver the message and say these are why they are here, you know, so if they see thousands of Easter lilies on the steps, you know, we don't want
2: them to stay. They would know because we would talk about it. That's what I mean. We'd have to we'd have make shows. it
1: publicized, right. We would definitely have to do that. I do. I mean, you know, just to say we are here and we are powerful, we are here in massive numbers, and you need to start listening to us. I do. I like it. Uh, I don't know what it would take to organize it, but I like the idea. And if you find an organizer, I will be more than happy to publish it or uh, publicize it rather on the air. How does that sound? Great show, Bob. Thank you
2: Thank so you, much. Thank you, my friend.
1: Thank you for the great idea. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's not a show of it's not a show of force by you know by force. It's just a show of force in numbers. Here we are, and this is what we want you to observe. All right, thanks again for being a part of the show today. Rob Walgate will be in for me tomorrow. I will be back live on Monday. Be well, be safe, be free. Bye-bye.